0: Hey, Dunkerpunks, Thanks for hitting play on this episode. It is a great one, and I'm pretty sure you're going to be very glad that you did. Here's a question for you to get you thinking. When was the first time you deeply reflected on how race has shaped your life?
1: I don't want to be rich. Don't want to be popular Don't want to be selfish, no I don't want to be a goat Don't want to be ignorant Don't want to be blindfolded I just want to be Countercultural I don't want to be violent Don't want to have a vendetta. Don't want to be vengeful, no I don't wanna be a soldier, don't wanna be militaristic, don't wanna help that cycle, I just wanna be a countercultural pacifist. I don't wanna be a racist, don't wanna be a capitalist, don't wanna be sexist, no. I don't wanna pass judgement, don't wanna hold grudges. I don't want to be hateful, I just want to be a countercultural, pacifistic, unconditional lover. I don't want to shop at Walmart, don't want to grow Monsanto, don't want to drink Coca-Cola, no. Wanna burn petrol, don't wanna eat perfect fruit, don't wanna feel guilty, I just wanna be a countercultural, pacifistic, unconditionally loving, organic gardener. I wanna be authentic, I wanna be radical, I wanna be optimistic, honest, beautiful, I wanna be humble, I wanna be progressive, I wanna be open my inspiration i want to be like john wesley or sarah major or anna mal i want to be like martin luther or martin luther king jr like santa claus johnny appleseed dirk the limbs gandhi alexander mack john klein george fox jesus christ but mostly i just want to be me
0: This episode features a conversation between Jerry Krause, who's a pastor at the Warrensburg, Missouri, Church of the Brethren, and his daughter, Christy. And Pastor Morris Collins from Jesus Saves Pentecostal Church in Warrensburg and his daughter, Krista. The Church of the Brethren congregation in Warrensburg is white, and the Pentecostal congregation there is black. Pastor Jerry and Pastor Morris talk about the gift of their friendship and the effects that it's had, both on their own lives, but also in the life of their congregations, in their community, and their city. And I really loved listening to the honesty and humor and friendship in this conversation. So without further ado, I'm just going to hand it over to the Warrensburg folks.
2: Thanks for joining today's podcast, where our topic will be unity in Christ, not segregation by color. We'll be joined by four people from Warrensburg, Missouri. Two are from the Warrensburg Church of the Brethren, Pastor Jerry Krause and his daughter Christy, who is currently a first-year law student at the University of Chicago. They'll be joined by Pastor Morris Collins of the Jesus Saves Pentecostal Church and his daughter Krista, who is an elementary school teacher in Warrensburg. I'm David Pierce, and I'll be serving as the moderator for today's podcast. The Church of the Brethren and the Jesus Saves Pentecostal Church engaged in a unique church swap earlier this spring, whereby Jesus Saves canceled their service and attended a Brethren service. And a few weeks later, the Brethren Church did the same and worshiped with Jesus Saves congregation. It was an exciting, meaningful, and fun experience, and more ideas are planned for the future. But it was years in the making. Let's go to the daughters and see where all this began.
3: Well, first of all, I'd like to say thank you for inviting me to participate in this podcast. Um, I feel very privileged uh, to be able to participate. I I hope that I have... Uh, some very insightful questions uh, to ask of both of you. And so I'd just like to start with saying um, I know that since we're talking about diversity and inclusion and since we're talking about unity in Christ, I'm just wondering and would like to know from each of you, um, how do you uh, see and how would you compare uh, race relations and diversity in our communities um, with from the 50s and 60s with, with how we interact with one another today? What do you think?
4: Jerry is looking at me for me to talk to you. (laughs) Uh, From the 50s and 60s, um, I can remember as a a six-year-old, Liberty Baptist Church came down to our little country church uh mount olive community church um it was all white church we were all black church and they came and had vacation bible school with us that's the first i remember that would have been uh about 1953 maybe Mm -hmm. i remember that yeah so this was a unique experience for me to get a chance to repeat all over again
5: Mm -hmm. and in terms of congregational life um I'm a little younger than Morris, so I can't remember back to the 50s. Uh, this is Jerry speaking, but um, I do remember when my wife Becky and I were pastoring a, a congregation in Virginia, we were intentional about going to revival services for Coles Creek Baptist Church, which was a, a black congregation. Um and I think we perhaps inv- we invited them to come share with us, but it wasn't quite the exchange like we've had here. Um, and in terms of race relations, I remember growing up in St. Cloud, Florida, and my buddies on the track team who were black lived in Ashton, which was like a little suburb, a segregated suburb of St. Cloud. So it's very clear that it was, there was segregation going on there. Mm-hmm. And that was in the 70s. mm Mm-hmm.
3: Just... I was just really wondering um, how you all feel about the way race relations and how we relate and interact with one another has changed through the decades, because I, I I just have noticed just in the 20 years that I've been a school teacher, how things have changed just within those 20 years. And I think back to um, an occasion in which I was sitting in my classroom with my students, and a friend of mine came in to surprise me. She came up from behind and put her hands over my eyes, and I didn't know who it was. But when I saw her, the children saw how excited I was. And so they, one of the first questions they asked me was, who is that? Is that your sister? <laughs> and I thought that was so interesting because they were very sincere. They, they really, truly meant that uh, because I, I'm African-American. She's Caucasian. And uh, they thought that that was my sister. Uh, you know, because of the connection that they could tell we had. And so I've just noticed how things have changed for just just the way seven and eight year olds view life uh, versus how I felt like people in my generation viewed it. And so I'm just wondering, what do you all think about that? Uh, what are some of the differences that you notice? How do you think things have changed or improved? How are we getting it right today versus maybe? not always getting it Mm -hmm. right long ago.
4: I don't know. I don't know what Jerry's perspective might be. I know for me, uh, like I mentioned a while ago, the 1950s were a certain thing. And Mm -hmm. and I remember my grandson even asked me now, uh, did I get to play with with, uh, white kids? And I tell him no, we couldn't play with white kids. Uh, I lived on a farm uh, and uh, there were where the population around us was about 10 percent black 90 percent white but we couldn't play with the white students and our, our the white kids who are our neighbors we could go to the fence and say hi but you couldn't play wow that started changing after they integrated the schools in 1954 and we got a chance to meet each other on different you know, grounds uh, such as the school, and people got a chance to visit with one another and understand that, you know, we had a lot more things in common than we had differences.
3: Mm -hmm. And
4: then it progressed into the 60s and into the 70s and where we are today, you know. Uh, A lot of the younger African Americans don't remember a lot of the things the older ones went through. So their Mm -hmm. concepts are a little different. Mm-hmm. I find that as an older African-American, one of the things that has really changed is how you value yourself, mm-hmm. which was not necessarily true growing up. Someone else valued you. And by that other person valuing you, you use that as the you know benchmark for who you were. And you had to rise above that and determine that you or someone, whether someone else defined you or not. Mm-hmm. That's that's the biggest thing that I find that's different today.
5: Interesting. And in my journey to kind of understand some of those dynamics, what you're articulating, would that be internalized racism where it's imposed mm-hmm. on you and the, the, the devaluing of oneself may be because of uh, the racism imposed on you, I think perhaps my it does. white society. Yeah, mm-hmm.
4: yeah. I I, 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 and looking back on that, you know, there were some things going on that you really didn't understand as being sure. Uh, it was just accepted. And then as as we got older, I remember at fifteen, asking myself what was different for me than the the white boys and men that I was around. Other than the color of our skin. What was different that when I was putting up hay in the hayfield, age 15 and 19, what, 63, uh, my cousin and I had to sit at a separate table and eat because we couldn't eat at the main table. Uh, this is 63 and uh, 61. When was that 15? <laughs> uh, it would have been 62, 63. Uh, we couldn't eat at the table with the white men. That was not allowed. In fact, I was not I was eighteen years old before I could ever eat at a table with a white man. Which mm. is interesting. Wow. Yeah, nineteen sixty five. Wow. It was my first time to get to eat at a table with a white man. Mm-hmm. You were allowed to eat at that table. Other than that, you could not do that. Even if you came in downtown Warrensburg, the corner cafe used to be across from what is now the Salvation Army. You couldn't. You could go there, If you went to the back door. They, you could get a hamburger, but you could not go into the main, you know, seating area and get a hamburger. That was not that's, allowed.
3: That's <laughs> unbelievable. Sometimes. Yeah. Hmm. And I, you know, and and things that I think things have changed again because sometimes when I'm teaching my students about that in class, they they just look at you wide eyed like I can't believe mm-hmm. that that sort of thing used to go on.
4: One of the things that <clears> amazed <amongst throat> me in our exchange. Because there are people in your congregation. Some in mine, our congregation is only younger than yours. You probably saw that. Uh, Mm -hmm. We don't have as many people there. I don't know. You know, you seem to have people, more people in their 50s, 60s, 70s. -hmm. And a lot of those people would have gone through that time frame, too. Mm -hmm. So what was nice was for us to be able to sit down and I call it collaborate. Mm -hmm. Eat together, Indeed. you know, have a service together. Because I remember a time that wasn't allowed. Mm-hmm. You just didn't do that.
5: Well, and I think what I heard from members of our congregation, the older folks, for a lot of them, they were excited to, to have the exchange because this was the first time in their lives mm-hmm. they've gone wow. to the black church and experienced this fellowship and worship mm-hmm. with you. Mm-hmm. Their whole mm-hmm. lives. Mm-hmm. And see, for me,
4: we had had a little bit of that as a young person, but as a as we got older, they didn't do it. And so, when 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 the opportunity came for Mm -hmm. Jerry, for us to do it, why not? Let's do something different. The younger ones are more used to that. I knew the older ones would not be, Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm a little uncomfortable around them. Because I don't ever recall seeing you before, you know, in mm-hmm. this context where we went to church together. Mm-hmm. I know now I could eat at a restaurant beside you, and that's okay. Or we might go to other venues that are now okay. But as far as, you know, it's often said that the, the 11 o'clock hour is the most segregated mm-hmm. hour in America. Yeah. But what about, let, let, let's, let's challenge that time a space mm-hmm. and see how that feels. And It felt good. Mm-hmm.
3: It did. Talked it the right did. Thing. I think we all enjoyed it very much, mm-hmm. and I, I I see that as, as one of the things that 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 we're doing to help further, uh, you know, diversity and inclusion and race relations. Um, and, and I'm just wondering, you know, what do you all think and how do you feel about? Um, Ways, other ways that we're getting it right, so to speak. What are some other things that you see in our communities, in our churches, that are helping further this type of uh, this type of thinking?
4: This is, to me, one of the things because we talked about uh, coming to the, the farm for picnic. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there've been a few that have said who've. Well, he let us fish in the lake. What, what Morris is
5: referring to is uh, my wife Becky and I. We we are fortunate to live on on the family farm Becky grew up on, and we have a fire pit and a pond, and uh, we've had several picnics here in the past, and we're working on this summer, this June, June fifteenth, to have a shared congregational picnic. Jesus saves. And Warrensburg Church of the Brethren to come out just for family fellowship time, picnic, and so forth. So go ahead, Morris. That's so that
4: would be a different venue, too. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's a little more relaxed and not at, at church necessarily to see how that goes and to see how free. And and some some of them, the younger ones have expressed a little apprehension about that because of— Really? Yeah, and I don't know why. Mm, that's uh,
1: interesting.
4: Right, yeah. But but they, I don't know, sometimes I feel like they feel like that, uh, uh, what do you want from me or what is it? Just
3: friendship. Ooh,
4: ooh, well, yeah, but, but I haven't been used to on that level.
3: Right.
4: He's inviting me now to his house, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Hmm. We can go to church together. But now that's a different mm-hmm. uh, challenge now. I can go to his house. And he's going to let me fish Well we got to see I'm going to try that out and see how that works so, mm-hmm. You know So that will be interesting mm-hmm. Now we've done it before because of the Diversity and uh, dialogue It's gone there before mm-hmm. But others that we've invited To come with us To that before Have often expressed You know well I don't know well, come, on, come on let's go Come on go with us and they go and they come back later and they say I enjoy myself because they haven't been in that type of where now it's more than just a church service. We have to meet each other at, on a different level. Mm-hmm. It's more social now.
5: Mm-hmm. There's not not the structure of, of the, the church
4: which sets mm-hmm. the structure for that. Now it's more social. So now point. we have to meet on a little different, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, that should be interesting. Mm-hmm.
3: That should be hmm. very interesting. And I heard you all mention the uh, diversity and dialogue group. Could you all talk a little bit more about that and how that got started? I believe both of you went on the Sankofa journey, and that kind of helped spawn a lot of um, what we're talking about here today.
5: Mm-hmm. Um, back in 2014. 2014. Yep. Um, I had heard about the Sankofa journey when I was a member of the mission and ministry board of the Church of the Brethren. Wendy Chamberlain McFadden had done this, and she talked about it, and I was intrigued by it. It's put on by the Evangelical Covenant Church um, designed to help people learn to know one another across the barrier of race Mm -hmm. Um, and— What you need to do is a white person needs to find a black person to partner with for this journey. And uh, as I prepared to go on this, I decided I wanted to do this. Um, I was trying to think of a black person that I knew in Warrensburg who might be willing to go with me (laughs) on this. I didn't know any African-American people well. But mm-hmm. I knew acquaintances. And, of course, I knew Morris had been on the school board for a while. He's a longtime educator. I'm in education as well. He's a pastor of a church. I'm a pastor of a church. There were some similarities there. So I kind of prepared a, a budget, and I just approached him and asked, would you consider doing this? Gave him the dates. And he gave it some thought, but then he said, yeah, I think I'd like to do that. And um, So that was quite an experience. We left on a Thursday morning and got back on a Monday night, I believe it was. Mm -hmm. Um, And this Sankofa journey took us with a group of about 40 people on a bus from Chicago to the south. We went Birmingham, uh, Montgomery, Mm -hmm. um, Jackson, Mississippi, Memphis, Tennessee. Went to Selma. We went to Selma, Alabama, walked across the Edmund Pettus Bridge. Yeah. But doing all of that, Morris and I were seatmates the whole way. <laughs> and, and we spent one night in a hotel. We were in roommates. Mm-hmm. And we really got to know each other that way. When we got back, um, we decided what we got a, a friendship going on here. Yeah, what are we going to do? Go this? ahead. Pick up from there. And no, we, we, we got
4: back, and it was such a, I thought, a, a, a challenge of our, um, you know, comfort zone. I guess is what I want to call it. I didn't know whether right. I wanted to go with Jerry or not. <laughs> I didn't know what the journey might be like. And, and uh, I knew Jerry, I knew Becky. I had Becky as a student years ago. Oh, wow. But I, I knew Jerry, and and he'd asked me to go with him. I thought, well, you know what? I need to challenge myself, too. Right. You know, I need to ask myself some questions about, you know, you, you can say one thing, but then to do it, Mm-hmm. And to actually project yourself into that—that's that, that's a different story. Mm-hmm. So, when the time came, and I—that's—that's—it was, even though I had some trepidation about going, I, I said, <laughs> yeah, I'll go. And winter, <laughs> and weather, because I, mm-hmm. I knew it weather. was
3: winter.
4: Uh, <laughs> and when I thought about that, when we sit in the ice uh, north of Memphis. Don't know, you don't go out in the winter anymore.
3: Anyway, <laughs> and when you all came home in a blizzard. <laughs> came,
4: came home in snow. Jerry got me out of that, too. <laughs> but anyway, we, when we went to those places, and I got a chance to go through that, and, and of course, as we rode the bus, and they would show us films and, and challenge us and our thoughts and feelings about being black, being white, what do you think about this and that? And then to come back and you ask yourself, what are we going to do with that? And then I thought back on, there was a dialogue going on in Warrensburg. years ago. We'd meet on Sunday evenings, and they called it Race Around the Table. And in the Race Around the Table, the job was, or the, the thing that they did, they sit and talked about issues. And I said, Jerry, what if we started that again? because they, they did it and they let it drop and it kind of fell by the wayside. Let, let's come back and let's do something in Warrensburg that kind of centers around that same idea. And and that's, that's how this came about. And then diversity and dialogue became in the thing that we wanted to try. It was around the time of the uh, incident with the Ferguson.
3: Mike Brown. You remember that?
4: <laughs> that's when that was happening. When our first Discussion was about that. Right. Wow! And we we talked about we invited a number of people mm-hmm. in the community we thought might would we'll take part in that, and that has since uh, ebbed and flowed. Some have, have come and gone, and some have, new ones have come in mm-hmm. to be a part of that group.
5: But Morris and I host that. It's once a month, the second Thursday of the month, mm-hmm. from seven to eight p.m. So it's not a long experience but the the, the goal is to foster relationships amongst ourselves in yes. the community.
4: Mm-hmm. And has gone on that two of us from that group have gone on to the city council
5: mm-hmm. and
4: become a part of the diversity and inclusion which was kind of a resurrection
5: of the diversity and the inclusion commission
4: mm-hmm. on the city. Commission, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's where they came from. Mm-hmm. And uh, to kind of again look at what's going on in our community and what can we do to to. Uh, be proactive instead of react. Exactly. In race relations that go on in the community, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Jerry got me into
3: that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's been very awesome that uh, both of you stepped out and took a chance and decided to to further your own growth. Mm-hmm. And then also, I think that it's great that you've brought it back to the community. And then, you know, yeah. encouraged more of us to become involved as well, as I appreciate being a part of the diversity and dialogue. Group. Yes, I remember you when you started it, at first I wasn't a part. Mm-hmm. I just recently come on board about a yeah. year ago. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I feel like I've experienced a lot of growth <coughs> as well. And I, I appreciate and admire both of you for helping further things yeah. in a forward direction right. as far as race relations and
6: diversity in the community goes.
2: Okay, can we listen to Christy, some of her questions now?
6: I think that that many people don't necessarily take time to think how their life has been shaped by their race, Uh, especially white men your age, I think, a lot of times never have deeply reflected on how their life has been shaped by their race. So my question for you is when was the first time that you deeply reflected on how race has shaped your life and more so why. Why did you decide to do that or what, what spurred that reflection?
5: Okay, maybe I'll respond to your second question first. Um, why? I remember in my late 50s sitting on our idyllic farm here south of Warrensburg and just realizing how disconnected i felt from the american black experience uh, i just didn't feel like i got it at all and didn't feel that that was that i wanted to live the rest of my life that way i felt like i was missing something and i like we'd mentioned earlier in the interview we we i'd heard of the sankofa journey and i thought well that would be an opportunity to work at this um So that's why. I I wanted to better understand um, the whole concept of race, but specifically the black experience. And then um, when did I first deeply reflect on race? Quite honestly, the Sankofa journey was the first time in my life Mm. when I I began reflecting deeply on race. And I remember an opening activity. We all went around the circle there, the group. We'd only been there about a half an hour, Mm. and were asked to share um, how would you— Describe your race. And when it came to me, I said, well, I guess I'm white. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'd ever really thought of myself as white. Uh, and that's wow. white privilege now that I think about. But that began my, my deep reflection, and, which has continued, and I continue to work at that intentionally.
6: Another question I have uh, also has to do with your and Morris's friendship. I think your friendship is very unique and to me it seems very intentional and and many good things have come to our community through your partnership and your friendship together. What have been some surprises for you in your friendship or that some surprises that have come from your friendship together for you?
5: Um, I agree. I think I consider my friendship with Morris to be a gift. Well, I guess one of the surprises is through as we've learned to know one another, I realize we have a lot of the same values. Um, I, I think we both seek to live our lives to follow Jesus. I think we both are deeply committed to the church. I think we both love our families and are deeply committed to our families and to our community. We're both educators um, so a, a lot of things in common, it, it just just feels right to, to be friends. Uh, I trust Morris. He's a graceful man. Um, he's wise. Um, he's got a sense of humor. He probably puts up with a lot of things from me that I don't realize he's putting up with. <laughs> but um, it seems very genuine in our friendship. And uh, one of the surprises was this worship exchange. We hadn't mm-hmm. planned that, but again, when a relationship is happening, you never know what the future holds except you're in a relationship with each other. And Morris suggested this last fall and said, I think it's time we did this. I brought it to our congregation. They were enthusiastic, and we're moving right along.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: What do you think, Morris? I, well,
4: I, you know, I and
5: thinking about, you know, uh,
4: when Christy asked that question concerning, you know, when did you first realize there was, and I think I first realized that you know there was a connect when you told me about your uh experience a lot of people don't know you you grew up as a little boy in Ecuador, I uh-huh. think yeah and uh and then you spent time in the Dominican Republic uh-huh. and so I didn't know. yeah, and so to me being black was not just the color of your skin it was having experiences that dealt with diversity and dealt mm-hmm. with different aspects of people of color yeah. and you had experienced a lot of that True. already and so it was he he didn't offer me the a song and dance kind of of what i had been used to as as a white man, black man relationship, he just accepted me for who I am. And it didn't make any difference, you know. He didn't make any, he didn't put any value judgments on, on it. He, uh, you, you are, I am who I am. And I immediately picked up on that the first I. Saw that. I, and I thought to myself, you know, this guy's for real, you know. Mm. And then when I was ill in the hospital back in January of 2018, and here he is. I always say that. He's sitting across the the room <laughs> looking at me. I say, you know, how many people would go to that extreme, you know. <clears throat> I had a lot of black friends that didn't do that. Not because they couldn't or, or maybe wouldn't. He just did. And mm-hmm. he did. And here mm-hmm. he was. And I thought, Wow, you know, he didn't have to do all that. But he here he comes. And he's sitting across from the thing.
3: He's a real friend. Right, a friend. just
4: And I friend. learned to love him as we rode up and down that highway from Chicago <laughs> to Jackson, Mississippi, and and back to the Edmund Pettus Bridge and and we went on and I, and I tell him, you know, love is 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 more than just a four letter word you know it it expresses and, itself in the things that you that you share with others and so forth and i and i saw that happening yeah. yeah
6: all right my next question is something that i can relate to right now i'm 24 and life changes a lot in your 20s and you change a lot in your 20s and i've really noticed how Um, especially since, for example, high school or even college, I've gotten to have new beliefs and and new values and have changed my perspective on many issues. And it's been an interesting ride. And I think that happens to a lot of people in their 20s. Um, something interesting for me, and I think I've noticed this is that I think both my parents, but especially you, have maybe changed in the past probably five eight years and maybe even changed a lot um so my question for you is if things have changed what are some of those things but more importantly what is it like to um be in your 50s 60s and have cognitive dissonance or have Challenges to deeply held beliefs that, that you've had all your life up until now and how have you dealt with those changes?
5: Well, uh, one of the things I think I've learned is that cognitive dissonance, that tension means I'm still alive <laughs> and I'm still growing and I hope that I'll continue to have that the rest of my life. Um, specifically, uh, a couple of things do come to my mind. I came through the counselor education program here at University of Central Missouri a little bit later in life, in my 50s, and uh, preparing to be a high school counselor where I serve now. And it was at a time in my life where I did examine a lot of things, especially in light of my years as a leader in the church. And I can, I think, list four specific things that have... Been an impetus to growth for me. And one of the things I learned was that as a counselor, I want to avoid judging anyone. Because when I judge somebody, that puts them on the defensive. It will no longer be a, a therapeutic process for them as their counselor if they feel judged by me. And then I thought that through and remember that Jesus taught us not to judge anyone, mm-hmm. uh, lest we be judged. Mm-hmm. And as you think about it, sometimes the church is the most judgmental place on the planet. And so I've realized that that's a learning I could definitely take also into my leadership in the church. So uh, not to judge others has been huge. Another one, um, as a counselor, we need to be careful to not impose our values on others. And uh, sometimes I think, again, in the church, we think that we need to go out and convert people and impose our values on them. And I think it's more of a delicate experience. uh, If we look at the way Jesus lived his life and taught his teachings, I don't think he meant for us to force ourselves or our values on Mm -hmm. anybody. In fact, we're not really respecting someone when we do. And so to learn uh, the dynamics of not forcing my values on others has been a really important growth area for me. Mm -hmm. Another one has been the importance, if if I'm in doubt at all, don't say anything, just listen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Listening is really important. Mm -hmm. uh, And not enough people, I think, are available to listen to us. And then the other one which reinforced my, my understanding of Jesus' call to us was as a counselor to always hold my client with unconditional positive regard. Mm-hmm. And Jesus talks about unconditional love. Uh, so, so those four things have really been um, an affirmation for me, but also growth for me. And whenever there's co- um, cognitive dissonance, there's that tension between beliefs. I've come to find that that's an invitation to grow and the Spirit has something waiting for me if I will wade into that dissonance and see what the Spirit has to teach me. Well,
2: we've about uh, come to the end of the program. Morris and Jerry, any closing comments? Anything that you'd like to say about uh, the relationship that you've had, some of the exciting things we're planning in Warrensburg and with the churches working together?
4: I just, as I mentioned to Jerry, when we had our... uh, You all came over to visit with us at uh, Jesus Saves. And we got to do this again. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I enjoyed that. I know the members did. They were very, uh, you know, appreciative of you coming. For many of them, it was a new experience, a new challenge, a new kind of... um, way to uh, learn to appreciate because even though it's, it sometimes looks like it's white privilege, we sometimes in the black community feel privileged too mm-hmm. or like you owe me something. Mm-hmm. And I, I think you earn everything that you have. Mm-hmm. At least that's what sure. I was taught <laughs> by my dad is that you don't uh, expect anyone to give you anything. You earn that and so i would like to earn uh, the respect of my friends and the people that we you know congregate with and uh, i felt like that that has happened at the church of the brethren so mm-hmm. i've been very uh, impressed mm-hmm. with the time that we spent together and uh, i think the people that are attracted to even the diversity and dialogue have expressed some Uh, Thoughts there uh, that uh, lead me to believe that's been a good thing. Mm -hmm. Has been a good thing.
5: I'll say amen to that too. Uh, I think relate. It's all about relationships, Mm -hmm. and we've been gifted with uh, a genuine relationship, and that has ripple effects. Mm -hmm. And we're experiencing that and sharing that as a community. I believe that.
2: Well, I'd like to thank Morris and Krista Collins and Jerry and Christy Krause for joining us in this important discussion. Unity in Christ, not segregation by color. As Gandhi said, be the change that you wish to see in the world. I'm David Pierce. Thanks for listening.
0: Dunker Punks, when was the first time you deeply reflected on how race has shaped your life? When was the most recent time you did any of that kind of reflecting? For some of us, especially those of us who don't identify as white in America, that kind of reflection is ever-present and unavoidable. But for others of us, those of us who, for instance, grew up as white people in American culture where whiteness is falsely considered the norm we may have never had to think about how race affects us i really appreciate the way that pastor morris and pastor jerry talk about their friendship couldn't you just hear in their conversation how much they like one another and respect each other and love each other they talk about their relationship as a gift which is beautiful but they're also not afraid of being honest about the hard and awkward parts of a friendship that crosses what W.E.B. Du Bois called the color line. Pastor Morris says that he wasn't really sure he wanted to go with Jerry on that Sankofa journey five years ago. And he says that the young people in his church are uncomfortable even now showing up at Pastor Jerry's house. That being in church is one thing, but going to somebody's house, that's different. And Pastor Jerry talked about how he had never before even thought about how his life was shaped by his whiteness, and how doing that work was awkward and uncomfortable, and how some of the older people in his church hadn't ever stepped foot into a black church before. Conversations around racism and white supremacy in America are messy and awkward and heartbreaking. Talking about the realities of race is not easy, and it's not safe. But it is necessary if we want to be followers of Jesus in America today to start talking and to commit ourselves to the opportunities and responsibilities and relationships that are gifted to us when we do. My prayer for you, Dunker Punks, and for us all, really, is that we would find the courage and the compassion and the faith to step into those awkward moments To trust that the call and the promise of unity in Christ is real. And that even when it's embarrassing or difficult or upsetting, even when what we're called to do feels like it might be breaking a major social rule or definitely going to get us in trouble, that we could remember that our allegiance is to Jesus, the one in whom there exists no divisions in whom there is no female, nor male, no slave, nor free, no Jew, nor Gentile, no black, nor white." Next up for the DPP is a special summer broadcast, y'all. This is the last episode before we start a new season and a new series format. Over this summer of 2019, we're going to repost one of our favorite existing series, favorite as voted by you in our recent DPP survey. It's a four-part series, and so you'll get one episode every three weeks. That's June 29th, July 20th, August 10th, and August 31st. So don't be scared when you don't see the next episode downloading into your feed immediately this summer. They're coming. And then we'll return with all new episodes in the fall every other week, just like we've always been, starting September 14th. The Dunker Punks podcast is a network of radical Jesus followers. This week's episode was created by the Warrensburg Church of the Brethren and edited by Jacob Kraus. I'm your host, Dana Cassell. Zach Hauser is our production intern and Carrick Van Asselt produces graphics for all the socials. We are grateful to the Arlington Church of the Brethren for creating space and hosting all the podcasts going on, and especially to Suzanne Lay, who keeps all of us on the same page. You can learn more, find the archives of the show at arlingtoncob.org slash DPP. If you would like to get involved, we would love to have you. You can find us on social media at Pod or email us at dpp at arlingtoncob.org. Be well, Dunker Punks, and wade out there into all the awkward.